I also was spending a lot of time, what I would call hustling for value, seeing how hard I could work, how much I could do um, to try to feel validated and to kind of quote unquote prove myself. Deep down, what I realized is that it was because I didn't actually understand my value and my worth. And ultimately also, I didn't know what my specialized knowledge was. I was trying to kind of be everything to everybody in a lot of respects, and that's exhausting. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Having experienced job burnout early in her career, Patricia DeBeau began to confront her work life and what she wanted it to be. Although successful, she believed in projecting a positive attitude, suffered from anxiety, and didn't understand her value. As a result, she put up with or stayed too long in situations that were unhealthy or didn't meet her aims. She was profoundly frustrated and felt powerless in certain circumstances and relationships. And she just hustled for value instead of having an intrinsic sense of her worth or her specialized knowledge. Exhausted and dissatisfied, she didn't fully understand the toll on her psychology. Her story amplifies our motto, slow down to speed up, and that what she hasn't done is the most significant result. She realized that there was accurate thinking required before jumping into a series of untested actions. If not, she may move from a bad or difficult situation to a worse one. Today, she is in a new position, provides leadership, and is valued across the entire organization. Here's the interview. Patricia, welcome to the Influence Ecology Podcast. Thank you so much, John. It's wonderful to be here. Well, do tell us who you are, introduce yourself, and say a little bit about where you live and what you do. My name is Patricia DeBeau. I live in Colorado, just north of the Boulder-Denver metro area in a little town called Longmont uh, with my husband and our four-pound teacup chihuahua moose. You know, very important having to get moose in there. By day, I am a brand and marketing strategist, and I really focus on design and brand experiences to bring the personality of a brand forward and to really enrich the personality of a brand. And I do that both through strong brand activations, events, strong visual identity, as well as even physical spaces. I've had mm -hmm. the opportunity to actually pull brands through physical environments and kind of combine my love of interior design with my love of brand strategy. So that's kind of how I spend my days. And then I have some little side passion projects around interior design and event design and things like that. Fantastic. That's a little bit about me. Fantastic. 
So everybody here at Influence Ecology has a particular kind of journey. And there are a few things I would love to address in this particular podcast. One of the things is I really appreciate on the front side that in your notes that you talk a little bit about mental health and some of the things that you've learned or dealt with around mental health in this program. Now, I'll start first and let our listeners know we're not medical professionals or or, uh, psychological professionals or anything like that. So I'm not, I don't think you are, but you have some things about your own journey that you care to share. And I think that's really useful, especially now with what's going on in the world. And by the way, for anybody listening, we're in the midst of the coronavirus quarantine. I've got my quarantine (laughs) chic on today, you know, instead of my office suit, I've got my, my flannel and slippers. Just very very handsome. (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you so much. But I think that'd be useful. And there are a few things that are beautiful takeaways for people that I think might be relevant as well. So I think that's one of the opportunities that we have. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to address your journey here. One of the things that I would love to find out is just a little bit about your own journey and particularly what was what was life like? What were you thinking before Influence Ecology? What was going on? What were you thinking? What guided your actions? What was all, all that about? Yeah. So before I started with Influence Ecology, which was about three and a half years ago now, I had just turned 35 and I was going through what I can only describe as a midlife crisis. and. Mm. To steal maybe a term from Brene Brown, I think it eventually became a midlife awakening, but it definitely mm. started as a midlife crisis. Um, yes. And it was a little bit early. I think 35 is you know potentially early for, for that kind of thing. And, and I don't want to say crisis in a negative way because it ended up being such a, an amazing experience for me. And I learned so much about what I wanted out of life. But I was definitely in a place where everything from the outside appeared great. I had a good paying job. I was successful and, you know, for all intents and purposes, I owned a home, I had a wonderful marriage. And so from the outside, everything seemed and looked amazing. And I had a lot to be grateful for, felt happy in a lot of respects. And at the same time, there was kind of an underlying feeling of dissatisfaction, unhappiness, and kind of a feeling of being a little bit stuck. Mm. And what I started to realize was that there were ways that I was stuck and I had kept trying to kind of come up against those things and figure out how to get around them and how to get around mm-hmm. those blockages. And mm-hmm. the stuff that I was trying just wasn't working. And I was trying mm-hmm. really, really hard and putting a lot of effort in. And it just wasn't netting the result that I wanted. Do you mind yeah. saying what some of those stucknesses looked yeah. like or felt yeah, like sure. or seemed like? Because it's it may be relevant to other people who have similar stuckness. <laughs> yes. Yes. So one of the big things was early in my career, I had gotten burned out. I was just Mm. at the point of exhaustion. I was emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted. And that was one of the things that definitely led to my unhappiness, at least in that condition of life of career. One great example, looking back um, from an anxiety standpoint, you know, the anxiety got in my way in my career in a number of areas. One in the, the things that I was able to take on and the ways that I was able to take advantage of opportunities within my career. And one great example was, about five years ago, I got to a place where I couldn't fly anymore because I had such flying anxiety. And mm. flying is not an abnormal fear. That's not something that is a strange thing to have a fear about. But I had a very high level of anxiety 
because it was combined with kind of just generalized anxiety that I had in my life as well. And so that fear of flying just became unmanageable. And so about five years ago, mm. I just stopped flying. And so, you know, as a marketer, I had events that I would have been great for me to go to and be at. There are people that, you know, I love that I wanted to go visit and travel. I traveled a lot when I was younger and I love traveling. I love seeing new places. And there are so many countries and cities and places around the world that I wanted to visit. And it was really hampering not only my, my career, but also what I wanted to do in my personal life. So that was one, you know, just kind of one example of where the level of kind of anxiety and stress and fear that I lived with day to day really got in my way. Very good. Anything else about how your depression or anxiety showed up as symptomatic in your work life, career life or anything else? Definitely. Yeah. One of the other things that I've realized in hindsight is that I stayed too long or put up too long with unhealthy dynamics. And I would feel very powerless in certain situations. Again, a lot of this was internal for me. This wasn't necessarily something that I projected to the outside world. A lot of people wouldn't have known that this was going on for me. But right. inside, inside, I was kind of like, you know, the duck's legs under the water, just constantly spinning and having all of these emotions and feelings and things, you know, things going on that were not helpful and were not constructive. And so I remember one example there was an early one of my very first influence ecology webinars. And this is actually a really funny story. Very early on, I was watching a webinar. I think it was something like fight, flight, or tr transact. And I was sitting on my bed. I was working from home that day. I was sitting on my bed watching the webinar. And I happened to look at while you guys were doing the welcome and, you know, thank you for being here. I happened to look at my email and I saw an email from a colleague that I had really struggled with. Something about it just triggered me and I just started bawling. And so I was sitting there listening to this webinar that was all about not becoming emotionally hijacked, bawling. And I remember at the time sitting there thinking, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? And this is what they're talking about. And so I had such <laughs> hope, first of all, that I was with, <laughs> that I was involved with an organization that might be able to help the reason that I'm sitting on my bed crying right now. But just the irony of also that it was the, you know, don't get emotionally hijacked and learn how mm -hmm. to transact instead. So just one funny little example, but lots of stuff like that. Well, I think that's a, a very important point right now. We've got so many different people, as you know, that are in different states of emotional hijack, you know, whether or not they're threatened financially. By the way, I just got off a conversation a moment ago with several people. There are some people who are doing so well right now. In fact, mostly because this tragedy has offered opportunities that they could you know, that they were prepared for. Some people are doing well because they have a lot of surplus that they built knowing that breakdowns do happen. And since we talk about building surplus so that you can, you know, survive certain breakdowns, they're, they're doing okay. There's a whole host of other people, their business is gone. It's just gone. Their business model's gone. They're, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. So we're doing everything that we can to help to help people transact effectively at this time. It's one of the things that we're just simply making sure that we offer. Some of those things are very tactical and some of those things are just simply very supportive or maybe even connecting people with the right resources and all of that. But just wanted to put that in there at this moment. So since you found yourself able to transact instead of being hijacked, as you said, 
then what started to happen? What started to happen during your participation? Where did you discover you were naive? Or where did you find that you weren't thinking accurately? Tell us a little bit about that. So one of the things that I started to realize, and and one thing I will say is that I, about a year into my influence ecology studies, I started what I would call my therapy journey. I realized that there were some things that I couldn't address on my own because I wasn't able to think accurately fully. And so one amazing thing that I'm so grateful for is that I had therapy along to kind of partner up and be co-constitutive with my influence ecology learnings. And the two of those together have been so impactful for me. And so what I started to realize was that I, one, I had a really hard time thinking accurately about myself. I could think accurately about other people and other people's transactions, but not about myself or about my own. And I also was spending a lot of time, what I would call hustling for value, seeing how hard I could work, how much I could do to try to feel validated and to kind of quote unquote, prove myself. Yeah. And deep down, what I realized is that it was because I didn't actually understand my value and my worth. And ultimately also, I didn't know what my specialized knowledge was. And Mm. so I was trying to kind of be everything to everybody in a lot of respects. And that's exhausting. Mm. And then two, I started to realize that like that example of listening to a webinar and kind of sitting there crying and feeling, you know, feeling powerless and frustrated and depressed about, you know, a particular situation. I started to realize the emotional and, but more importantly, also physical toll that that was yes. taking on me and as an impact from a health perspective, physically, and kind of my reputation and the value I could provide to other people. And so that kind of first element of not realizing that I couldn't think accurately entirely for myself was I think the first step in really making a shift. And one of the other things too, that I realized is that I, even through all of this, I had huge ambitions. I mean, all of these ideas being part inventor, I've got ideas for days. And so I had all these ideas that were kind of based in hope and possibility and the current, not as much in reality. And so the combination of seeing that I wasn't able to think accurately starting to real, you know, come to the realization through influence ecology that there's a responsible nature to ambition. Ambitious can be dangerous if you're not coming at it from a transactional approach and that we get very wrapped up in the current and what the current expectations are. And then starting to understand also the idea of value and really understanding and kind of decoupling myself from that feeling of having to prove myself and really understanding what is it where I provide value And that just allowed me to start to kind of unwind and unweave the thinking that wasn't healthy and that had me kind of being somewhat self-destructive and high cost to myself. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. 
Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. I want to now move into what's happened since. You know, you have some things that began to redirect your thinking, the way that you acted. What are some of the biggest takeaways or some of the biggest results? One of the things that I want to just kind of speak to right off the bat is that when I began studying with Influence Ecology, I came in very much from the perspective of, okay, this is going to be great for work and for career. I'm going to you know, launch this new business idea that I have. That was the vision that I came into Influence Ecology with. And what I experienced and you know, came to find out was that it was much more of a holistic experience. The fact that we address so many different conditions of life, I have seen improvement across the board and have had impact across the board. And some of the things that really stand out to me when I look back in retrospect, one is the impact on my relationships and my ability to you know, see other people to contribute and help other people from a transactional philosophy and from a transactional personality standpoint has been huge for me. And not only just at work, but also in you know personal relationships. Like example, my husband and I were, were just uh, celebrating our this month, our 21st anniversary of dating. So that's a long time. Congratulations. And thank you very much. And he's a judge. And then I, he's, a, he's a judge with a little bit of a, a producer wing. And then I'm an inventor performer. So we're mm. across the, the transaction cycle from each other. And one thing about two years into my study with Influence Ecology of learning about the personality types, I heard either at a webinar or at a conference, I don't remember which one it was, but I think it was Kirkland that started to share about what bragging sounds like for different personality types. And <laughs> when he got to the judge, he talked, yes, it was good. It was so good. <laughs> and when it's he got favorite. to the judge, he was talking about how bragging sounds like complaining. Yes. And that realization, I will tell you, has made such a big difference in my relationship with my husband because after 20 years of being together, the inventor performer person over here in my side of the, the relationship, I heard every time that my husband complained about something, I heard it in one of two ways. One, the inventor side of me heard it as something to go to work on, a problem to be fixed, a possibility to be created to solve that problem. Or I would hear it as a little bit of a fight because it would kind of trigger into my ego. Mm -hmm. Or two, my performer side would hear it as something that I did wrong or some way that, you know, he wasn't okay and I needed to take care of him or our relationship or, you know, kind of like remove that struggle or that complaint that he had. And so I spent 20 years running around, like buffering everything, trying to figure out like, how could I like fix this and take care of that and take responsibility mm -hmm. for this? And so that alone, making that mental shift and realizing, oh my gosh, that is his form of bragging. And then also looking at it as a contribution because judges see the world through the lens of standards and right and wrong. And so seeing it not as a complaint of, you know, like, I'm just going to sit here and, you know, be annoyed and complain, but seeing it and trying to reframe it as, as his opportunity to kind of contribute to how he sees, thinks the world should be made a big yep. difference for me in my relationship with him. That's fantastic. It's so fantastic. That's really great. 
Thank you. And so there's a particular thing that I really do love that you put in your notes about one of the biggest results that you've gotten that you said, in some respects, what I haven't done is the biggest results. Tell us a little bit about that. I love that bit. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's very, very true. One of the very first FOT sessions that I was on, I remember you sharing the idea of slow down to speed up. And at the time I thought, okay, that makes sense. I, you know, I get it. I thought I had a very cursory understanding of what that meant. But as I started going through the fundamentals of transaction program and then subsequently map, the idea that I couldn't yet, one, articulate my offer in a way that it was very clear for a single ecology and had a clear you know, breakdown that it solved for, I couldn't have a plan and a pathway for articulating how the work and action would get done in a way that wasn't going to exhaust me. I hadn't yet narrowed my 115 ideas down to one. And so what I realized through this study is that I was not yet ready to launch a business and to launch a new offer. There was work to do first. And so I had to spend time stopping, slowing down, and looking at not only those things that needed to be built, but also focusing on where were there things that were threats? Where were the things that were going to get in my way if I were to start this business and start this new offer that would make it a struggle? And that would make it unsuccessful, ultimately, whether the unsuccessful was because the business wasn't successful or unsuccessful because I would be exhausted and burned out because either one of those things wouldn't look like success to me. I spent a lot of time removing threats like all of the stuff we talked about around anxiety, fear, my ability to overwork and overthink and never stop inventing. We can whole sidetrack. We should just ask my sister sometime around me not stopping inventing around my wedding. We can talk about that in a second, but that's a funny story. Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's her favorite one to bring up. The work that I did to slow down to speed up was to start to go to work on those things that I saw ultimately would start to get in my way. And some of that was the, you know, kind of psychological element of, you know, things that had happened in my childhood that I was bringing into adulthood, that anxiety and fear that I struggled with. And then looking overall at my fitness and not fit, fitness as in physical fitness, but the you know transactional philosophy definition of fitness of whether mm-hmm. or not I was fit to actually do and complete this offer. And so that has been a lot of the work that I've done over the last three years. And it's slightly embarrassing to say, but I also think that any inventors out there would definitely understand this, that it's taken me a good three years to really get to a place where I feel like I'm starting to get narrow enough to actually decide on one offer and one offer alone. So that's an accomplishment. (laughs) It is. And then I've also spent a lot of time experimenting with possibilities. Early on in my influence ecology journey, I talked a lot about what my business was going to be and what I wanted to do. And I was going to do this and I was going to do that. And I verbalized all of that stuff. And I had a narrative that was like only half big, but I was verbalizing all of that. And what I realized and what I have then kind of turned inward and started to do is that it wasn't ready for public consumption yet. And two, I had a lot of work to do to experiment with all of those possibilities and kind of test them and see, is this really what I want to do with my time? It sounds like a great idea now. I have some proof and evidence over here that I think I would like this. 
there's a big difference when the rubber meets the road and you're actually doing something day in and day out. And so I have spent time narrowing and experimenting and actually kind of getting my hands dirty in these different things that I've wanted to try. And I found that some really, really resonated and some were super fun and were exactly what I wanted and some weren't. Mm. And so those are the things that I've been able to start to kind of narrow and pull back from because I got out and just kind of tested them and played around with them a little bit before making these broad sweeping claims about like, I'm starting this business and I'm so excited. That was Mm. one of the ways that I have slowed down to speed up and that I have done less, not more. It's really great. And so while you're all at work at that and you're thinking accurately and removing all of the threats and removing some of the anxieties and things like that, in the meantime, it sounds like also you've left a job that didn't meet your aims, but also that that particular position, your value wasn't seen or appreciated or, or perhaps even in line with the organization's aims. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So I was in a role where there was a big disconnect between the value that was seen in me on my team versus the value that was seen amongst the executive team. And I'll say to this day, I don't really even understand all of the nuances of exactly what was going on there. And there are lots of theories and lots of things that I could point to. But ultimately, what I realized is that there was was a cultural and ethics misfit And I don't mean ethics as an ethical. I mean that what I put first and foremost was not in line with what this organization put first and foremost. And so even though I have tons of respect and lots of friends at this organization, it just turned out that it wasn't the right place for me. And so Mm -hmm. I made a decision at some point doing accurate thinking and the realization that It just wasn't working for my health and my other aims any longer. And I had a a great coach at one point give me this advice of there's kind of three ways that you can be. You can adapt, you can flee, you can change, you know, leave or change your environment, or you can die. Those are kind of from from nature's standpoint, like those are your three options. And (laughs) I had spent a lot of time, (laughs) I had spent a lot of time trying to adapt learning this, let's bring this coach in. Let's, you know, try to fix this thing over there, roles and responsibilities. Okay, we've got all that figured out. And something still wasn't working. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what I realized is that there was an expectation that I just keep digging in and quote, unquote, prove myself. And the realization that I had was that there was a lot of liking there. And so there was a lot of interest in me sticking around because people liked me. But ultimately, I realized that the organization did not have a clear understanding of the value that they were looking at in my role, and did Mm -hmm. not have a clear understanding of the value that I provided. And so Mm -hmm. I made the decision that it wasn't a fit. And so I decided to move on and do something else. (laughs) And now? So I spent some time as a brand and marketing consultant over the last year, which has been really rewarding, gave me a ton of flexibility. I got to work with some really amazing clients, got to learn new things and put all of my years of practice into kind of a different level of application. And then I started working with this great client locally here in Colorado. And I just recently joined them as a full-time employee. Mm. And my experience in this organization has been so wonderful. I feel Mm. incredibly valued not only just on my team, but all the way through to the executive level. 
I have executives asking me questions about transactional philosophy and transactional personality. I get to make recommendations. I get to have strategic conversations. It's funny, one of our executives recently just on Slack sent me a message and he's like, okay, hey, guidance counselor, I need your help. And he wanted to talk about how a meeting had had gone and how it hadn't gone well from his perspective. And he wanted me to sit down and kind of help him kind of pick it apart and figure out why it hadn't gone well. And I was able to talk about and address from both a personality standpoint, but also, okay, well, that's because you guys were backing up in the transaction cycle. You were in possibilities. They were in assessment. So that's why it felt like there was a weird kind of tug of war. So just Mm -hmm. that opportunity to one, feel like I'm providing value, but then two, to also be able to bring these kinds of things into my career environment, my work environment, it's just, it's fun. It's really, really fun. So uh, I'm super happy in the place that I am now. It's fantastical. Congratulations to you on that. Really Thank so you. very happy for you. And finally, I, I want to invite you to climb on your soapbox about anything that matters to you. So uh, <laughs> do you want to say anything from your soapbox? Any advice? So there's this idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset is, this is how it is. I can't change my life. I just am kind of a victim of my circumstances, so to speak. And the thing that I would really encourage everybody to think about is having a growth mindset. There are so many resources, so many studies like Influence Ecology. There are therapy resources. There are coaches. There are so many things out there that can get you unstuck from whatever it is that you're struggling with, whether it's something career-based or whether it's something like psychological, whether you have depression or anxiety, there are just resources after resources. And so I would just encourage anybody who feels stuck in their life in any way to keep trying and to keep searching and to believe that you can change your life. Yes, Mm. there are objective things sometimes that objectively cannot be changed. But there are so many things that can, and you can have so much more power than you realize by going to work. And it may not be the first thing that you discover. It may not be the second. It may take you a hundred times to figure out what that one or multiple things are. But just please keep trying because it is so worth it on the other side, on the other side of whatever it is that you're struggling with. And so I would, you know, I would love to be a resource. People can find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm not a psychological expert. I'm only an expert on my own experience. But that is one of the things that I love most in life is to help other people in some way make their experience even just a little bit easier. Because I really believe that we go through things in life so that we can then kind of guide the path for other people after. That's my soapbox is keep trying to find those resources and the ways around wherever you're stuck and ask for help. Reach out to people. And just do that as many times as you need to, because it's totally possible. Well, Patricia DeBow, thank you so much for being a guest today on the Influence Ecology Podcast. Certainly this interview will help lots and lots of people. Thank you so very much. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. And I will just say thank you so much to you and Kirkland and the entire Influence Ecology team. I do not think you will ever understand the impact that you make on everybody in this ecology and just so much appreciation for you all. My special thanks to our guest, Patricia DeBeau. 
In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with her and all the links to websites, books, or downloads mentioned in this podcast. The Influence Ecology Podcast is produced by Influence Ecology LLC in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded March 30th of 2020 and was produced by Tysel Crandall and me, John Patterson. You can find a transcript for this and other episodes at influenceecology.com. This episode is made possible through the assistance of the Influence Ecology faculty, staff, mentors, and students around the world. Co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and our colleagues comprise an international collective of professionals who are active in the development of the philosophy of transactionalism and the discipline of transactional competence. Kirkland is considered a leading philosopher and authority in the field and has authored more than 500 papers on the subject, study, and discipline. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring, entitled Fast Train to Everywhere. You can subscribe to the Influence Ecology podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at influenceecology.com. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know.